The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. This morning, we are starting a new series, and we're simply calling it Miracles. And the reason we're doing a series uh, about miracles, and more specifically the miracles of Jesus, is because as I've been uh, thinking and praying through what we should be doing next as a series as a church, I felt that we could all use help, and I certainly include myself in this, having our eyes lifted, because there's so much that we can be focused on in, 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 in our city and in the world around us, even events like what I've just been mentioning, different examples of conflict and whatnot. There, there are times when it's just so helpful to lift our eyes and just to behold Jesus. And I think the miracles of Jesus provide us with a wonderful opportunity to do that. So we're going to be in this series about the miracles of Jesus between now and Easter Sunday. Obviously, on Easter Sunday, that's where we're going to land with the greatest miracle the world has ever known, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And and because of that resurrection, yours and mine, if our faith is placed in Him. So we're going to be in this between now and Easter Sunday. And again, it's because we could all use help uh, to lift our eyes. We could all use help to marvel at something right now, to, to, to look at something with awe and wonder. Is there anything that you've looked at in the past two years with, with awe and with wonder? It's, it's been a harder time to do that, hasn't it? Often when we look at things and go, oh, wow, that's amazing. Often, not always, but often it's when we're traveling. It's when we're seeing new things. If you've been out west, maybe you remember the very first time, like you drove from Calgary into the Rockies, and like you, you saw the foothills, and then you got closer and closer, and then there they are. Wow. You looked at it with awe and with wonder. Maybe you've had the privilege of spending time in like the, the really, really northern Canadian north, and you've been able to see the northern lights, and you just look, and just the beauty of it. You look at it with awe and wonder. I know some of you work in finance. Maybe you've looked at a spreadsheet and it's got color coding and the most beautiful formulas and you look at it with awe and wonder. It's just so beautiful. Have you looked at anything in the past couple of years with awe and wonder? It's been a harder time to find those things. It really has been. But this series, I hope, is going to let us look not just at the work of Jesus Christ in these miracles, but as at Jesus himself with awe and wonder and to behold him. And we'll do that together. Now, as we start this series, there are two important questions uh, that, we, that we need to answer as we're starting a series on miracles and on the miracles of Jesus. The first question is this, what do we mean by miracle? And more particularly, how do we define miracle in, in a gospel-centric way? And then the second question is, based on that definition, what's the point of miracles? What, what, what's, what's their purpose? What's the purpose of the miracles of Jesus? So this morning, again, by way of introduction to this series, we're not going to be spending time this morning looking at a specific miracle that Jesus did. We're going to set things up, and then next week we're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus did, which is turning water into wine at a wedding, and just how loaded with meaning that is uh, for us even today. So let's start with these questions, though, as we set this all up. What, what, what do we mean by miracle? Well, most people would define a miracle 
as a supernatural event that happens in the natural world, something, something that sits outside of the ordinary with some sort of extraordinary power behind it. And you can, you can fill in that extraordinary blank with, you know, whatever you want. People would fill that in differently. Some would say it would be the God of Scripture. Others would say that it would be a, a different God, perhaps, that has a name. Others might say it's just positive energy, positive thinking. There can be all sorts of things that we might say are behind the extraordinary power, but the miracles are some act of extraordinary power that, def- that, that interrupts the ordinary in the natural world. For Christians who, we would hope, would say that it's the God of the Bible who is behind these extraordinary things, Christians would say that Behind every miracle is God, and it's God who does special things from time to time that are really out of the ordinary, special things that God does that sit outside of the normal. Christians, many Christians would say, that's what a miracle is. And I know for me growing up, that's certainly how I would have thought of it. That's certainly how I would have defined it myself. I thought that miracles were those things that God did that were really amazing. Those things that God did were really amazing. And we read about those examples in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, really, not just in the life of Jesus, which is going to be our focus during this series, but all throughout the Bible, we see just amazing acts of the the power of God and miracles that God does. But the problem with this thinking, this thinking that says, "Well, well, well, miracles are really amazing things that God does, the problem with that thinking is that it implies that there are unamazing things that God does. It implies that there are ordinary things that God does, that, that, that there are things that God does that aren't really special. There's nothing really particularly unique or, 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 or uh, captivating about it. And that isn't true because everything that God does is amazing. Everything that God does is amazing. So just even thinking of the natural world around us, we, we might think that raising the dead is amazing. I suspect everybody in this room would agree with that, that the, that the dead coming to life is amazing, but a seedling being planted and growing into a strong, mature tree, well, that, that's, that's ordinary. But actually, there's nothing ordinary about that at all. That, that, if we actually slow down and take the time to consider it, and many people devote their entire uh, professional lifetimes to the study of that, there's nothing ordinary about it at all. It's complex. It, it's, it's actually beautiful. It's extraordinary is what it is. Or we might think that somebody being healed from cancer is amazing, but snowflakes on a cloudy day in the middle of winter, that's... That's not amazing. That's ordinary. We'd think that, wouldn't we? Canadians in the middle of winter, <laughs> we'd think snow. There's nothing, there's nothing amazing about snow. But no, there actually, there actually is. And looking at snowflakes and the design of snowflakes in each one, the process of evaporation and then snowflakes gathering around a, a, a dust molecule. I don't, I don't know how it all works. And falling to earth and then playing in it and shoveling it and everything else that we do. It's actually, if we slow down, it's actually extraordinary. 
Everything that God does is amazing. What about people? Our celebrity culture would have us think that there are extraordinary people in the world, and then there are the rest of us. They're the people that we read about in magazines, even within Christianity. They're the super Christians with lots of followers, lots of, uh, you know, big impressive things that they've done, big impressive things that God has used them for. But then there are the rest of us. Do you know that you, as a man or woman here in this place this morning, you are made in the image of God? You're extraordinary. You are. You're extraordinary. In God's eyes, there is no one who is just ordinary and boring. Not one, because we are made in His image. Nothing that God does is ordinary. Nothing that God does is less than amazing. Rather, we are the ones who have ceased to be amazed. The problem isn't with God. The problem is in us. And more specifically, the problem is sin within us. And one of the effects of sin is that it numbs us to the wonder of all that God is and all that God does. Not only does sin numb us to who God is and the amazing things that He does, but sin also distorts it. So not only do we see things for the amazing way that, 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 that they are in the way that God made them and who He is, but we actually question who He is and why He does these things. Take two examples very early in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve, and He places them into a garden, and, and He says, you can eat of the fruit of any tree. You can have any tree in this garden except for one, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. But any other tree, it's yours for your enjoyment. I've made it for you. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, Satan, comes in, and the first thing that he says is, did God really say that you must not eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden? Do you hear the twist? Do you hear the twist? And Eve, actually, in Genesis chapter 3, corrects the serpent. No, oh, God, God didn't actually say that. God said that we can eat the fruit of any tree except for this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the idea was already planted. The idea was already planted that, oh, maybe God, maybe He wasn't telling the truth when He said that this is all for us, for us to enjoy. Maybe He actually doesn't want us to enjoy things. Maybe He's, maybe he's not actually good. Maybe His ways aren't actually good. We all know what follows. Adam and Eve disobey God. And then we read that God goes for a walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And he calls out to them, where are you? Where are you? I mean, just, just that image I just find amazing. That God, he created Adam and Eve after his act of creating them, he declares them as very good. Everything else that God makes, he says, is good, but then we see that distinction with the man and woman. They are very good. That's God's declaration over them, and God made them to be in relationship with him. So when you're in relationship with somebody, what do you do? You spend time with them. You go for walks with them. That's what God did in the garden. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? 
So God comes and he's, I'm going to go for my walk with Adam and Eve. Where are they? Where are they? Do you see the contrast? Before sin comes into the world, enjoying that relationship with God, enjoying all that God had made, taking him at his word, trusting him, enjoying this free relationship with him, with nothing blocking it, nothing impeding it at all. But then sin coming in to the world. And what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. They hide. This is what we do. When sin comes into our lives, and we're actually all born into this ourselves, we stop enjoying God and we start hiding from Him. We stop looking at God with awe and wonder and enjoying that relationship, and we start looking at fake gods. We start looking at counterfeit gods, and we marvel after them. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because we obey what we behold. We obey what we glorify. It's always harder to do what God says when you're not in awe of who God is. It's always harder to do what God says when you're not in awe of who God is. And in those times in our life when we're not in awe of who God is, you will be in awe of someone or something else. You will. You've been made to worship. Every one of us, whether you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, still, you have been made to worship, and you will worship. You will. The question is, what or whom? But each of us are made to worship. And if it's not looking at God with awe and wonder and marveling at Him, we will look at someone or something else, and we will marvel after them. Not only that, that's what we will obey as well. So the problem isn't with God, the problem is with us and sin with us. Some of you here today, this, this is what you need to hear this morning. You're here, you're a Christian, but you regularly get frustrated in your life because you just find it so hard just to obey what you know God says. And, and, and you try and you try, but then it doesn't go well, and you get down on yourself, and you get frustrated, and you start hearing that voice inside your head, you're not a good Christian. God doesn't love you. The other Christians around you at church on a Sunday morning, they've got it together, but if if they knew the real you, if they knew the real you, oh my goodness, they'd have to call a special church meeting for you because of what you get up to, because of the ways that you fail. Let me, if you've ever felt that, maybe you're even feeling that this morning, Let me give you some advice that comes from this book. If you're struggling to obey God, let me give you a different type of strategy. Ask God to help you marvel at Him. Ask God to help you to be in awe of Him. Don't focus on the behaviors. Don't focus on all the things you need to fix and the things that you need to sort out. Focus on seeing Him and ask Him to help you to see Him and see what happens into your heart. See what happens in your heart. Your heart will follow. Now, what does this all have to do with miracles? (laughs) Well, we live in a very broken world. We live in a world that has been so affected by sin. You don't need me to tell you that, do I? You just need to go on the CBC News website, just read what's happening in the world at any given time. We live in a broken world. 
We live in a broken world, but it's through Jesus that God is restoring this world to Eden before sin came into it. That's where it's all heading. That's what you read about in Scripture. God is restoring the world to perfection. God has made a way for our sin to be dealt with, for us to have the blinders removed from our eyes so that we not only want to obey God, but that we look at Him with awe and wonder. We obey Him as we behold His glory. So because this is where it is all headed, a gospel-centric view of miracles can define miracles like this. In light of the gospel, miracles are not strange interruptions of the normal world. Rather, miracles are normal interruptions of a strange world. You follow me through that? Miracles are not strange interruptions of a normal world but rather miracles are normal interruptions in a strange world. The world is as it was not meant to be. Our normal is not what it is supposed to be. So the miracles that we read about in Scripture, and specifically the miracles of Jesus, are actually showing us God's normal. Isn't that amazing? It's glimpses of this, of God's normal, of where this is all headed. Dear church, miracles are less about looking backwards and going, oh wow, look at the amazing things that Jesus did, and more about looking forward at the world when Jesus returns again and all is restored. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. What an encouragement. (laughs) What an encouragement. What grace. In his book, The Wonder-Working God, Jared Wilson puts it like this. I, I love this. This is the basis behind the graphic that we've uh, put together for this, for this series. What are miracles then? But glimpses of the way that the world is meant to be, glimpses of the way the world is actually becoming. In and through Jesus, the kingdom is coming. And God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' miracles are the very windows into heaven. And through them, heaven is spilling into earth like sunlight through panes whose shades have been violently rolled up. I love that. I find that so helpful. Jesus' miracles are windows into heaven. Not heaven somewhere out there floating somewhere among the stars, but heaven on earth, the restored earth. Praise Jesus. If that's what Jesus' miracles are, what do Jesus' miracles do? What do they do? Well, there's a lot that could be said about this, but let me quickly sum it up with four things. Number one, the miracles of Jesus declare and proclaim the at-handness of the kingdom of God. Jesus came when he started his ministry. We read about that in the Gospels, that he started declaring that the kingdom of God, he also called it the kingdom of heaven, was at hand. And miracles are the evidence and the confirmation of that, the at-handness of the kingdom of God. Number two, miracles, and this is what I've just been speaking about, show us heavenly normalization. Glimpses through the window of heaven that show us the coming transformation of our broken world to the way it will someday be. And let me just pause there for a minute. This is why when we read about Ukraine, this is why when we walk through our city with protests, this is why whatever happens in the world next week and next month in our broken world, this is why we as followers of Jesus can be a people of hope. Yeah, 
This is why we as followers of Jesus can be a people of hope. Dear friend, this morning, have you placed your faith in Jesus? If not, do it. Do it now. Do it now. Become one who can have hope in the midst of pain, who can have hope in the midst of conflict, whether macro, international events, or micro, not the right word, because for you, the personal conflict in your life, the personal pain, doesn't feel small at all. But in the midst of it, you can have hope because it's not always going to be like this. I just, I, I, I want to say that again. I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to meet some of you right now in hearing that. It's not always going to be like this. He's sovereign over it. And if your faith is in Him, you can trust Him. You can have hope that there will be a day when that pain that you are feeling now will be gone. And it will not return to you ever. Ever. The miracles of Jesus show us heavenly normalization. Praise Jesus. Number three, the miracles are an act of war against the corrupt course of the world and the realm of the evil one. And number four, the miracles of Jesus point to Jesus, the one by whom, that's through his power, and for whom, that's his glory, the three acts above all take place. Church, it's the glory of Jesus that is the lens that we must look through if we are to see the miracles of Jesus for what they truly are. If we don't have our eyes set on the glory of the perfect Son of God, then we are at risk of only seeing the miracles of Jesus as just incredible things that happened at a time and wow, isn't that fascinating. But that has never been the intention. (laughs) It's that we would see the miracles of Jesus and that we would behold His glory, that we would look at Jesus with awe and with wonder. In John chapter 2, verse 11, John summarizes the first miracle that Jesus did. We're going to look at this in detail next week, but then John says this. He says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. The ESV says manifest his glory, displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. That's the point. That's the point of the miracles of Jesus. It's his glory. It's his glory. And if we behold the glory of Jesus as we look at his life, as we look at his miracles, it means that we don't only look backwards to see it, but we look forward (laughs) to where Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father. In what? In glory. In glory, miracles are less about looking backwards and going, wow, that's cool, and more about looking forward with hope and with anticipation as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ.